It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest, Sylvester Stallone. Yay! So we'll go into the top four, and as uh, I move here, number four. And I know some of you may be thinking, hey, isn't that the song from Groundhog Day? <laughs> yes, it is. But before it was in the movie Groundhog Day, there was a show, you know, called Sunday and Share Hour. Yeah. And it was hugely successful. And this is, of course, their, their biggest hit, which is I Got You, Babe. And we, we have mentioned before that there are a lot of artists that had gotten their own variety show, a lot of singers that had gotten their own variety show. If there was one variety show that sort of put the emphasis on family mm-hmm. this might have been one of the first ones i think with a husband and wife yeah yeah and because this came out before captain and Tennille. you know captain and Tennille was 1976 sunny and Cher went on the year 1971 mm-hmm. so in many ways the show kind of established that formula for the uh, you know at least having a husband and wife and i, I do remember on the show when they bring their daughter uh, Chastity is now Chaz. Chaz, yeah. yeah. Um, on the show as a little kid, mm-hmm. and you know that that was always you know part of the whole routine that they have, right? And even you know it's funny that the show ended, they get divorced, and then Cher comes back and gets her own show, and she does it by herself for a little bit, and then Sunny ends up coming back because it it you know while Cher was super successful as a, as a singer, yes, much better without Sunny, the show just wasn't right. Without having Sunday there, and there they was had a the chemistry. There was they, just something yeah. between them. You're right. There was just that you you hit it right on the head. I think chemistry. Right. And they just knew each other so well that it didn't matter what their marital status was. That they just had that just that natural banner between each other. And yeah, you can't. Yeah, you when you have that sizzle, it's it's hard to replicate. Well, in a way, their banner was kind of an. Al and Peggy Bundy banner. Right. You know, yeah, he's he's kind of, she's constantly like picking at him. And, right. And yeah, it's it's the it's the smart wife, dumb husband a moniker that sitcoms have been using for, for decades. So, but the fact that even in divorce, they can do that. Right. Because now you're a divorce couple that's kind of at each other and busting on each other. Right. And it, it, I remember we watched it when it came back, when, when Sunday came back onto the show. I mean, we... I think our family was, you know, pretty loyal to watching the show. And Sonny really didn't want to come back on the show, from, just from what I've read, that he was hesitant. He wanted to stay behind the scenes because he was never really into performing. He didn't really like performing. He liked the business side of music. And he doesn't have a great voice. He and doesn't. He's not necessarily the, the best looking guy. But Sonny, you know, Sonny ended up having quite a successful political career yeah. later on in life. But he was known uh, just from what I've read about him, like reading his bio, a quick bio on him. But 
He was known to discover acts and recommend them to the record companies. Okay. So he was a guy who had, you know, some ability behind the scenes and that was what he preferred to do. And then, you know, he came back on the show because the show was struggling and, and then immediately comes out and immediately there's a bump in the, in the ratings because people wanted to see Sonny and Cher together. Well, in one of our past episodes, you kind of talked about Alice Cooper and how he had said that, you know, the type of career they had, you know, not a good looking guy, not a great singer. You know, what, what does he have? He's got that charisma, right? Mm-hmm. And Sonny, I would say, was similar to that. You know, very much a likable guy. You know, it's kind of sad how he died in the skiing accident, but he made the most out of what he had. He did, and he was, uh, I think one of his first acting gigs was in the movie Airplane 2. <laughs> Is that right? He was the one that smuggled the bomb onto the shuttle. Okay. Uh, and he was uh, he was in that movie, so yeah. All right, anyway. so anyways, that's Sunday and Cher. Um, as I said, number four on my list. So number three on our list is one that I think is probably going to be pretty popular among Gen Xers. That can only be Donnie Marie. Donnie Marie. Every episode of the Donnie Marie show was going to have this song. Yes. And, you know, Marie was going to perform a little country number and Donnie was going to perform a rock and roll number. So I went back this week and I watched the premiere episode of the show. Okay. All right. So you're talking about 18-year-old Donnie. How old would, how old would 16. Maria have been? 16. Okay. So they were the youngest, they were the youngest uh, brother, sister, the youngest people with their own TV show at that point. Okay. And, you know, Donnie was with his brothers in the Osmonds. Mm-hmm. Marie had her own solo career. I didn't realize how successful she was before the show. As a country artist? As a country singer, yeah. yeah. She was actually... Uh, nominated for a Grammy. Really? Before she did the Donnie and Marie show. So when she was like 14, 15 13, years old? 13. Okay. 13 years old, she was nominated for a Grammy uh, for her song, I think it was Paper Roses, was her number one country song. She had a couple of number one songs before the show started. So, you know, Donnie was very recognizable being part of the Osmonds. Well, he also had that song Puppy Love. Right. And then, so they come out and they are just these effervescent constantly smiling perfect teeth and you know the funny thing is it wasn't a shtick i mean they were genuine i mean if you talk to them now they're still like that they're genuinely happy happy go lucky people and again they kind of had that little sibling rivalry banner between each other and it worked i remember for us that was it was a can't miss tv show oh absolutely it it was i think our sister Lori was was definitely going to make sure we didn't miss the show. I mean, because we only had one TV at, at one time. And if if Scott and I, as we've said in the past, we controlled the, the TV, often this was one time where it's a good thing we all were in agreement. Right. And uh, I think one of the most, more famous things about the opening of the show is the fact that unlike like Tony Orlando and Dawn, when they announced, introduced them for their show, they basically come out on a stage much like they would at caesars and and start going into their nightclub routine now donnie marie was particularly different i think this sort of set the tone for the era is they had ice skaters 
Right. So they had, it was a kind of a performance uh, vehicle where instead of them just coming out on stage and doing a straight monologue, they had these ice skaters. And I, after I watched it this week, I can understand. Donnie's a good ice skater. I, I noticed that. I didn't think about it when I was a little kid. But they would come out and they would skate in this little rink that they had in the studio. And I watched Donnie come out in the premiere episode, again, 18 years old. And he goes out there and he does a couple of spins. Mm-hmm. And then he does like this pratfall prank onto the ice. But I, like I said, as somebody who follows a lot of sports, you know, you, you, you kind of watch little things like nuances to see if somebody has skill or not. And when he bounces, pops down on the ice, he bounces up immediately on those skates like he'd been doing it his whole life. I'm like, yeah, that guy's got some skill. And I, I thought, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Donnie's like, hey, can we work ice skating into it somehow? <laughs> right. You know, it's one, one of those things. But Donnie Marie was just uh, just nice, harmless, fun TV for an hour a night, or, the, you know, an hour a week. The entire family could sit down and everybody was going to get something out of it. It There was a lot of energy is kind of like a big takeaway I had back then. And I remember like that song in particular where, uh, boy, I was on Donnie's side because I was a little bit rock and roll. So, you know, I was like, ah, I, I, you know, uh, that girl and her country music, but as, uh, you know, it, it was definitely, um, something you look forward to that part of the show where they did the, the split where they would start to sing this song and then they would do their own numbers. So do you remember Marie Osmond coming to Lancaster? I do. I was actually going to bring that up. I do. Okay. So way back in the day, the, uh, Lancaster used to have, there used to be a pro basketball league out there called the continental basketball league, the CBL or CBA, Continental Basketball Association. Lancaster had a pro team called the Lancaster Lightning. Mm-hmm. It used to be called the Red Roses. They folded, and then they became the Lancaster Lightning. Hall of Famer Connie Hawkins was the head coach, and one of the players on the Lightning was engaged. And they were, they, were they, they married, married at that yeah, point? That was okay. her first husband. Okay. So they, they were married, and she showed up. I think they played at McCaskey at the time. Yeah, they did. And she showed up at... at you know, J.P. McCaskey to uh, watch him play in one of the games. I remember that was a big deal here. It, in ma- it made the news. Yeah. It sure did. Yeah. 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 So, well, I mean, because Marie, that would have been, it was early 80s, right? So she would have been pretty young. She was born in 1960, so that would have made her about 22. Yeah. I mean, so that, that'd be about right, yeah. you know? So the, because he, if I forget, I forget the, his name, but, you know, he played at BYU. Yes. And so that, I think that's probably where they met and, uh, you know, so she was college age, and so yeah, the, I don't think they were married at the time, but eventually, they did get married. They did get married. They got divorced, and then uh, thirteen years ago, they got remarried. Oh, did not so know they that. are remarried to this day. Okay, so it ends in a happy story. Yeah, well, you know, all because of of the romance that blossomed here. In That's right, Lancaster, the Red Rose City. Right. So the um, you know that's Donnie Marie. That you know a, a huge show for our family, but you know only number three on our list. Because you know there, uh, we have two more to go. But there was there was another show that was particularly big for our family that we never missed an episode with. You, you know, if they would have gotten married in York, it never would have lasted. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But. Uh, now this is not the theme song to this show. The show I'm referencing is, is Hee Haw because. You can't find it. I know. I tried really hard. Yeah, I did too. And Hee Haw uh, had two 
main stars of the show. One was Buck Owens, who you're listening to right now with one of his biggest hits, I've Got a Tiger by the Tail, which he would perform on the show yep. from time to time. Um, Roy Clark, of course, was the other big name yeah. on the show. And this show ran from 1969 to 1992. It did. And with, obviously, the cast changed slightly, but there are a lot of people that lasted the entire run. Right. And Roy and Buck Owens being amongst them. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I really didn't understand country music when the show was in its run. And to understand the difference between Roy Clark and Buck Owens and maybe why they brought the two of them together. Because even though they were country, uh, Buck came from the West Coast, which out in Bakersfield, California. Right. So it was a different brand of country music. And then Roy was more traditional Tennessee banjo picking that kind of thing mm-hmm. so I, I can understand why you would draw in a bigger audience by having two kind of different country artists even though if you're not following country you, you don't recognize the difference but if you are country you certainly do and and this was a show that really featured the music you know where you talk about you know Donnie Marine both singing stars and of course music was prominent but, you know, sketch comedies were as popular as, as the music was. But with Hee Haw, that was central. It was, but come on. These are some of the best skits. That was another show that I remember on the on the weekends. Because by the time we started watching Hee Haw, right. it had made syndication. I think it started out on CBS, but only lasted so. a couple of seasons. And it was one of the first TV shows to go into syndication. And as you said, it had such a long, amazing run. Uh, but and it was the same. A lot of the the, the same goofy jokes, um, and and the songs that they would sing. That you had the Hee Haw Honeys. Mm-hmm. You had with the, Misty Rowe. I mean, I remember she was one of them. Minnie um, Pearl was Minnie on. Pearl. Oh, I got another one for you. So here, here I'll play. I, you get a twofer with this one because okay. I couldn't find the theme. Okay. So here's another regular character on every week. That be Grandpa Jones. That is Grandpa Jones with Mountain Dew, which he would perform a lot on the show. He would. Of course, you had you know Grandpa Jones, who you know, on every week, you know, they, I'd always remember, hey Grandpa, what's for dinner? And he'd always just read off what he was cooking for dinner that night. Yeah, cornbread, collard greens, and whatever he was making. Yep. Uh, yeah, I just. Mm-mm. You know, you and I weren't necessarily big country fans. I mean, we could rec- we could understand who the major artists were of the time that were doing crossover music. But to say I was a, you know, a real hardcore country music fan, I wasn't. But yet, we loved the show Hee Haw. We did, and it, it was really funny. Now, there was another reoccurring character, uh, performer named Archie Campbell. Archie, yep. And Archie was a comedian. I mean, so he was brought on there specifically for, you know, that aspect of it. And he had the, the very famous song, which I'm, I'm not going to play, but is you know, the You Were Gone song. Yeah. Yep. Where, where are you tonight? Yeah. And, and he would do that on a, on a, on his stage show. Right. We would do it. And yeah. that's where it started. I actually found it on Spotify, an old comedy album that he put out in the 1960s. Okay. And he's performing that song. He was a major name when the show was created for for those in the South that were followed, you know, Southern comedians. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't realize that he had he was a big deal in the '60s before the show even started. Well, on this album, he's on stage just performing because you can hear the like a small club, the audience laughing in the background, right. and it's it's not like he's performing it in a studio. It's literally just the stage performance. And he would always do the song with whoever the guest star was and spit on the in their show. face. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, the, the the guest star would usually a lot of times would spit in Archie's face. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. That was a great Junior was, Sample was another comedian that was brought on the show. Yeah. Yeah, and Junior ended up going, getting into a couple of mainstream movies. I remember he was in Fried Green Tomatoes. He played the husband for uh, the uh, Bates. Yeah, Kathy Bates. Yeah, yeah. He was he was played the husband for Kathy Bates in the movie Fried Green Tomatoes. Junior, yeah, he had an acting career after that. He was in the movie The Replacements. He was the defensive or the uh, the offensive line coach. Okay. In the movie The Replacements right. with Keanu Reeves. So. Okay, I didn't. I forgot that. There you go. Okay, very good. So yeah, but he also is a show that you know, you know, our, our dad really liked. You know, he liked country music. That was his genre, and they, of course, you know, put a lot of really pretty girls in there, and, and really kind of had a lot of. Now, as I'm older, I look back and say, yeah, there's some risque humor in there that I did not pick up on when I was a little kid. Right. And you can see why you know the the adults, you know, really, you know, especially the guys, really thought this was an awesome show. And of course, then as you mentioned, the Hill Honeys, they had their own spinoff very briefly. They they, tr- they tried a variety show, uh, was not as successful. But Hee Haw, just an incredibly running, uh, long running show. But, you know, Scott, at the very beginning of this um, episode, kind of talked about, he wanted to reference Rowan and Martin's Laughing. And that's on my honorable mention list. Okay. All right. So we're up to number two with Hee Haw. And the reason this. And, and it should be said that Hee Haw was born out of Rowan and Martin's Laughing. That's true, because that was formatted after just the the way that they designed the sketches and how they were timed out, how they were shot was very rev- it was basically a carbon copy of what Laughing was. But the idea was to make Laughing for the country music fans. Right. Yeah. You know, where Laughing, you know, you know, for me, you know, Goldie Hawn was one of the breakout stars of that show. Ruth sure. Buzzy was sure. another star that, that you would see all the time. Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin. The, yeah. You know, it, it was more hippie-ish, in a way. Kind of very 60s to me. It was. You had these established performers in a hippie format. And I, I thought that was a smart way to do things, you know? Because these, these guys, if you didn't have all this kind of psychedelic stuff around it, right. it's a pretty straightforward Ed Sullivan-type show. But all they did was window dressed it with hippie stuff, and they would bring like Sammy Davis Jr. out, and he'd have like some wild turtleneck and some crazy jewelry on. That's right, babe. <laughs> Sammy's awesome. All right, so that's, that's laughing, but you know, only an honorable mention. And for me, it's because I didn't really watch it when it was on. I saw it in syndication later on, like reruns. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I ever saw more than a couple of episodes, but I do recognize. The impact that it that it had, right? And how and influential I, it was. Sure, I appreciate it now, but at the time, it's not something that, as a family, we sat and watched. And I would say, in my uh, my top twelve that I have right now, numbers twelve through number two, every one of these shows, other than SNL, okay, our parents would not have watched SNL with us, right? I mean they they wouldn't been they wouldn't have been awake. I mean they no. they, they would have they zonked out after the uh, the the eleven o'clock news. 
Yes. Um, so, but if other, they made it that far. But other than that, these are all shows that Scott and I would have watched as a family. Sure. So that's why you know that that's how kind of how I'm, I'm doing the cutoff with this. Now, another um, artist on the list that had their own variety show. They did not make the list for the same reason. Starlight Vocal Band. No. Oh. We got married in a fever, hotter than a pepper sprout. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. I'm going to Jackson. Of course, everyone knows that voice. That's Johnny Cash. Sure. Singing along with his wife, June Carter Cash, to the song Jackson. The Johnny Cash show was, was a pretty big hit from 1969 to 1971. Yeah, I believe it was brought in as a summer replacement to Glenn Campbell, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And Glenn Campbell was started out as a replacement for the Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers, I did not put on my list. They they actually, um, I almost put them on because I do remember when they tried to come back okay. later on. And remember watching the show, but that, that wasn't as successful. Their heyday for the Smothers Brothers was the 60s. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think you and I watched that together, and I did not understand. I mean, that was humor that was way above a little kid's Exactly, head. exactly. Yeah, so, but, you know, now that I know history, I know how influential the Johnny Cash show was. Sure. I mean, a lot of major art, artists were brought on there. I mean, I think a lot of the world, at least the country music world, got exposed to Bob Dylan. Okay. Probably through that show. You know, he would... He would have artists that weren't necessarily people that the the hee haw crowd would watch right. necessarily. You know, like the like Chris Christopherson. Well, he would might have crossed over a little bit, but that was another someone else that Johnny kind of introduced in a way. And wasn't that right around the time that Johnny brought on probably one of the considered one of the greatest country guitarists of all time, Marty Smith? Uh, wasn't he brought Marty on Stewart? Ra- Marty Stewart. I'm sorry. Marty Stewart was, I'm not was sure brought the time. in right around yeah. this time. He was really young, so he was like seventeen. Yeah, it could have been at that yeah. time. But it, it was, you know, a show that lasted, I think, longer than what was kind of anticipated. And like I said, it was kind of a big deal at, at the time. I, you know, I didn't really understand it. I was too young. I don't know if it's something that we would have watched that would have been on. But you know, by the time you're born, it's already off the air. Yeah. So that's why it's only an honorable mention. Now, the, the next one on my list is a show that I do remember watching. Once again, we're, we're kind of in the country music world. I don't know if you'll know that if you know this song right away, but if you let it play and you get into like the uh, the lyrics, I think you might be able to pick up one, at least the chorus. Girl, oh, that's Mac Davis. It's Mac Davis, yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. And this was a show, you know, Mac Davis had his own variety show from 1974 to 1976. I did see that, yeah. I don't ever remember watching I do. I, I, I remember this. Okay. I remember Mac Davis, by the time I was old enough to follow TV, that he was in the ABC Sunday Night Movie. I think it was North Dallas 40. He was in, he that, was movie? in that movie. Yeah. That's my yeah. first memory of Mac Davis. But I do. I obviously have heard this song many times. It's like, baby, don't give up yeah, on just me. Yeah, like, it's almost ready to go. Yeah. Don't start clinging to me, But yeah, part of the reason I have this even on the list is 
it it kind of just to me speaks to what was happening at that time it, these prime years 1974 through 1976 where the variety show was a vehicle for someone that might have had one single out one hit sure okay which to me was kind of this song i mean it, i really don't know a lot el- other songs that he ever did I know he had some other hit country songs. He did, but as far as like mainstream, this would have been this would have been the biggest one. And then he gets his own variety show, and sure. you know, kind of. I think he probably gets his acting career probably out of that. Now I know a lot of these variety shows sort of were created because they were replacing another show, so that they would the, the fall lineup would start usually in September, and then they would run until the end of the school year, and then the show would end so the the networks the three main networks at the time cbs nbc and abc they had to come up with these shows now did, at the time the reruns of the regular episodes weren't done as frequently they kind of felt like they needed to keep up with live programming right a lot of these variety shows were summer shows mm-hmm. i remember watching them because i could stay up a little bit later i didn't have to go to bed quite as early because they didn't have school the next day. Because a lot of these were run in the summertime. And you had said this with Sha Na Na, and I think it's true with a lot of these artists. If they were artists that uh, were able to incorporate their, their stage show mm-hmm. into a, one season, I think the networks were happy with that. Especially if they were an artist that had good banter with maybe some of the band members, like Barbara Mandrell with her sisters. Right. Tony uh, Orlando. Tony Orlando and Dawn. You know, it, it probably, like with, with, with Tom Hopkins... It probably was just one day out there on stage. They just started like going back and forth, as you said, doing what they always did backstage. And the audience loved it, and that kind of took off. You know, audiences typically love that formula where you have the, you know, the star. Right. Tony Orlando is a star. Mm-hmm. But they always seem to like when one of the other people up on stage, you know, sasses and, and talks <laughs> right, back right, to them like right. Telma did in, in, you know, on that TV show. And, Marie used to do that to Donnie. You know, Donnie would sit there and try and be a big shot, and she would always, you know, chop him down a little bit. Audiences love that stuff. Right, right. So I can totally see where if you are an executive and you go and you see Mac Davis, and Mac Davis has some good banter with either his band or the crowd, you're like, hey, I can get eight episodes out of that guy. And, And let's be honest, you know, the way that an artist sort of made their chops years before you're playing in a million bars. Mm-hmm. You're probably having a million conversations either with the guys on stage with you or people sitting out sure. at their table. So they automatically know how to perform to an audience a la the TV cameras. Right, as well. right. So uh, no, another honorable mention that I have is someone that you just mentioned a few moments ago as you know a replacement of a replacement. This, of course, is the, the great Glenn Campbell. Um, Southern Nights. I think Southern Nights came out like 1977. So this was much after his TV show. His yes. TV show ran from 1969 to 72 called the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour. Yes. I don't remember the... I don't think I've ever watched any part of Glenn Campbell. Yeah. But I think he had come out with a, a, uh, 
an album in the late 60s that had a song on it called Galveston. He did. He also had the, uh, see if I get the title right, it's like the Wichita Lyman. That's the big one, it, yeah. it, And that was like late 60s, like right before he got the show. Yeah, Wichita Lyman was his first it, major that, And that's major a great song. song. Yeah. And, and so I think because of those two songs that you just talked about, mm-hmm. And the fact that he was very well known, uh, as we've mentioned in one of our other episodes, as one of the top session musicians in all of music, that, you know, that once again, a very charismatic singer has, has, you know, before he passed away, you know, he basically performed right up until the end, even with, I think he, I don't know if it was Alzheimer's that he had, but he, he was, I think that is what he had, and he still could perform. Yeah. And they said... Where, because he was such an incredible musician, and you know, once again, kind of a, a charismatic guy who could interact with the audience, he would forget the words to his songs. He could not remember them, but he never forgot his guitar parts because he was this amazing guitar player. And then they would, they would put up on his monitor the lyrics to the songs, and they would then put up there Glenn's guitar solo, and he would read it every night. He would little add before he would perform, and he'd like do the words like Southern Nights, and he goes, Glenn's guitar solo, and then he'd play it because <laughs> that's what was on the screen. That's when he knew to play it. Sure. But yeah. he but he was, uh, throughout the 70s especially, I mean, I think Glenn Cable was a big name. In the 70s it was, absolutely. Even into the early 80s, he was still a name. Right. He was still a name that I think you know, the American public recognized. Now, we do have listeners from you know outside the United States and I'm not sure what their take on Glenn Campbell is, but certainly in the U.S., going into 1980, even 1982, 83, he was still a name that showed up on TV, and everybody knew who he was. And But once again, in 72, I don't really remember his show. I remember him being on other people's shows, you know, as appearing as a musical guest. I remember people talking about the fact he had a variety show. Mm-hmm. So in my, in, in, in my consciousness... It, I mean, in my conscious mind, it seems like he was always there. Right. So, but once again, don't really remember watching the show, kind of like Johnny Cash. So it can only be an honorable mention. Okay. Now, my next honorable mention, Scott, is a show that you and I did watch. I don't know how many people out there watched it. Very influential show. Do I have like every name on your list? I still have, I'm holding out with one. <laughs> Well, I still have my number one to go. <laughs> this, of course, is Tracy Allman. Um, a song called They Don't Know. If you remember the, the video, very much a 1950s theme. Yes. Of course, then she goes on to have the Tracy Allman show, which runs from 1987 to 1990, where the biggest thing that came of that show was The Simpsons. That's correct. And it launched the career for... The voice of Homer Simpson, uh, Dan Castellanata, who ended up going on to more than just one voice on The Simpsons, but Dan was a cast member mm-hmm. on, the, on the Tracy Ullman show, and it was one of the original one of the original shows to air on the Fox Network. Correct. In 1987, when it was when it first launched to uh, to a national audience. But and, and here's the thing with Tracy. You and I knew who she was before the show launched. Yes. Because she had this video on MTV, and she was an occasional VJ. That's correct, yeah. And so she was kind of this, you know, sassy, kind of very likable, kind of wisecracking gal from, from England. Well, if you're a Gen Xer, you know, from the UK, 
and you remember British television. Tracy Ullman was known in television before she came out with the song that you just played. She was known as a TV personality, and this was sort of a surprise that she released an album and not, you know, albeit a very successful song. And so by the time, so her, her actual niche was in acting in these variety shows. So when Fox launched the Tracy Ullman show, she, uh, you know, it was something that she had already been doing over in England and then brought to the United States. Right. I, I remember liking the show. Yeah. I, I, I really liked The Simpsons. I mean, that yeah. that is what kept us around. I, I didn't dislike the show, but maybe I wouldn't have been as loyal as what I was had The Simpsons not been there. But you and I, like from the first time we saw that sketch, we were like, that is gold. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. And the, the first one, I remember the very first one that we watched, the first short was when Bart was taking a bath and he was pretending it was uh, Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. So. Or the time they, they go to the aquarium and he went he would swim with the sharks and went like skinny dipping. Yep. <laughs> just just was incredible. Ed. But, you know, the Tracy Ullman show was groundbreaking. And, sure. and just because, as Scott said, it was one of the original shows to appear on Fox and it did have a nice run. You know, three years. It did, yeah. And, it, you know, the shows that stand out to me that, that were part of that original launch were Married with Children, The Tracy Ullman Show, 21 Jump Street, um, and uh, America's Most Wanted. I think those were the, the very first, that was like the first lineup. That's, that, some, that's some Gen X royalty right there, Scott. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, right. That, 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 was, that, that was a lineup that was, I think, really structured probably by the marketing executives for people our age. And yeah. it was launching this new network. You know, people a little bit older than us had already been kind of been established with the with the major networks, but they thought, hey, we're going to give some programming very much for of this age group. I mean, the, the reason they put The Simpsons on there was because people like us were going to love it. Yeah, yeah. And by the time they did the the Christmas episode, before the, that was even, the Christmas episode was a special. It wasn't even, they were announcing that the show was coming out. Correct. So we're talking December 1989. The year after, you know, the end of 1989, I graduated from high school in 1989. Here I am, 51 years old, and the show is still on television. Yeah. So it just, it really says Kind of something. amazing. All right, so now we're going to get to number one. Scott thinks that, you know, he may be able to squeak through without getting one. Let's see if he gets this one. The variety show, Formula. Okay. It was created by one man, Scott. It was created by, by a legend back in, the, in 1950. Do you have an artist going back to 1950? I do not. All right, all right. So this is, in my opinion, the, the television variety show was created in 1950 by this gentleman who, uh, I'm sure once you start singing, you'll know exactly who he was. Thanks for the memory of sentimental verse. Nothing in my purse And chuckles when the preacher said For better or for worse How lovely Of course, that was the great Bob Hope who began his run with the Bob Hope specials of yeah. from 1950 to 1996. And traffic That's right. And, and he, and to, in my opinion, created that structure of I'm going to come out with my monologue going to tell some jokes we're going to do some sketch we comedies and i'm going to bring out some musical acts you know i have to say i didn't even think about bob hope ah good that he was not you know that he still was 
pretty much doing. Oh, well, now he wasn't on every it. week. No, it was a special. Right, I and it was kind of. It wasn't like scheduled. It was almost. I want to say random, other than Christmas time. Right. Okay. Every once in a while, they would start to announce it. Usually, he would do a drop in on Johnny Carson. So evidently, this made Carson angry. Really? Yeah, yeah. He didn't like the fact that I guess NBC gave Bob Hope carte blanche to just walk on the set whenever he wanted, and just promote whatever he wanted at any time. And I heard Conan O'Brien say that, you know, one time Carson, when Conan was writing for The Simpsons, and right. Carson came over and talked to them. Okay. And he was like saying, that, yeah, that Bob Hope, he always just, just like walks out whenever he wants to. And it's like, like probably like mess with his flow. I don't know. But all of a sudden, yeah. Hope would come out, then he'd stick around. And of course, Johnny would have to do the show kind of structure around Bob. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, the, the shows were just these specials that would happen every so often. That's true. Yeah. And even... <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned Carson being on on The Simpsons. Bob Hope was on The Simpsons as well. It did a little cameo on that uh, show with the Little Miss Springfield. That's right. Uh, episode. He but. would what, he'd walk on stage say, "Hey, what's the name of the mayor in this town?" <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and then he'd design the same joke, just put the the name of the mayor in there. That's right. Yeah, and then you um, I mean, I thought you might get that with you know the thanks for the memories because didn't you have like a golf joke book called Shanks for the memories? I do. Yeah, I think I still have it somewhere. Okay, it's buried somewhere in a in a box. But yes, I but do. can you see what I'm saying there with Bob? Sure, Hope? absolutely. I mean, and he to have that long of a career, and he didn't ever change his formula. No, and credit him for, I don't know. He was true to himself. He wasn't trying. I always saw the. I was reading the uh, the history of SNL in, in the book, and they and they were showing the talking about the difference between. David Letterman and Lorne Michaels. Okay. Right. Lorne Michaels, longtime producer of Saturday Night Live. David Letterman had one of the longest running talk shows of all time. And they said there was a, there was a movie where they're recreating it starring Jim Carrey where he plays Andy Kaufman. And so they're recreating the, the scene where uh, Andy gets pile-drived by the wrestler, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry, whatever, Jerry Lawler, on the David Letterman show. Right. Which I did watch at the time. And they, was on. you know, they they told talked about how, uh, you know, they they brought Michaels and Letterman in to kind of recreate, set the scene for how this whole thing was going to come down because it started on Saturday Night Live, and then the uh, incident happened on Letterman. So they said Lauren Michaels was painstakingly trying to make himself look young, try to wear the clothes, and he and he said that uh, Letterman couldn't care less. Right, he's like, I don't care what I wear, you know, I'll wear a suit. And so they're like, well, you know, is it going to be a suit that you would have worn back in 1982? And he's like, I don't care. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do that. And they, they said it was the difference between a guy being obsessed with being hip and a guy who was just naturally cool. Right. You know, Letterman didn't, didn't care about the times. He just wanted to be funny. And I think Bob Hope was kind of that way. Right. He didn't really care about, the, you know, the styles of the time or whether it was, whether he was telling jokes to hippies or whether he was telling jokes to kids or adults. I think... You know, funny is funny, and if you're true to yourself, I think it works, and that's why it last you lasted so long. Well, I'll give you an example of what you just said there. I was watching on YouTube uh, just last night a, a clip from one of his specials, and Barbara Eden appears. I dream a genie, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's this, and he's running kind of this this nightclub, and I'm pretty sure it was uh, Mike Brady uh, was the guy who was his mater d. Okay, and he. He refers to somebody, Bob Hope refers to somebody as a crumb bum. 
Okay. <laughs> Which is a line he probably was saying to Bing Crosby back in the, the 1930s or something like that. And I, and I thought, how awesome is that? That I think the clip might have been late 70s or something okay. like that. And he's still using Chrome Bum. Okay. But once again, funny's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think if you're true to yourself and Bob Hope never tried to be anything more than what he was. And he was one of those guys that sort of had that vaudeville type background yeah, yeah. where you were you had to be quick on your feet in, in terms of hearing something and be able to turn it into a joke or turn it into something funny. But not only that, you know, Bob Hope was sort of from that area era of like the Johnny Carsons where they also had to be able to recognize what was funny also. Mm-hmm. So if you had people writing for you, right. you don't necessarily just take a script that was given to you and just roll with it. You know, you could be you could go through it and say, "That's not funny," right. and and, and kind of know what your ear is and know what's going to make the audience laugh. So there you go. That's my number one. And I, I, as you're listening to our podcast, you know, hopefully you're getting to know Scott and I a little bit and and kind of uh, you know our influences and and you can see that while as Gen Xers we loved what was happening in Gen X. Scott and I both kind of had some influences where we really kind of respected some of the older performers. You know, and, and what you said there with the, the vaudeville performers, mm-hmm. I think both you and I really like that style. You know, the, the uh, like the Jackie Mason, so you know, the Henny Youngman sort of comedian and, you know, a performer like a Bob Hope that, you know, you talk about, you know, artists performing kind of in, in small clubs or in bars where they had to interact and they, they developed their chops. That's what the vaudeville uh, actors and comedians had to do. Well, you know, I wanted to get, kind of give a little bit of an, of an you know, I'll go, go through my honorable mention because, and it ties into your list that you didn't, you didn't mention him, but he was on an episode of Shanana, and it kind of made me think of his own variety show, which was kind of what it was, skit comedy, and it was one of those daytime TV shows that we watch, but he dates way back to the, to the 50s as well, and that's Soupy Sales. Oh, yeah, Soupy, remember sure. the Soupy oh, Sales yeah. show? Oh, yeah. We used to watch that as kids. Oh, he's got a pie in the face. And uh, Soupy was on an episode of Shannon on. That was one of the episodes I watched this week. Did he weekend. get a pie in the face? Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it just kind of reminds me of, of um, how those comedians were able to cross generations. You know, Soupy went from probably even our grandparents' generation in terms of comedy and was able to get through our parents. And now he had a new show in the early 80s that was being brought. It's basically a kid's show. Right. Um, but Soupy had been somebody that had been around for a long time before I even knew who Soupy Sales was. Um, so that was that was a name I wanted to throw out there. The other one I wanted to mention was SCTV. You know, you talked oh, about yes, Saturday, Saturday yes, Night Live. Yes, yes. But you and I were huge SCTV fans. Yes, we were. And SCTV was basically the same format as Saturday Night Live, except it was taped. And Canadian. And it was yeah, basically Canadian. Yeah, with, Second with, City television, which was, uh, you know, Toronto, Canada, and Chicago, Illinois. Right. But a lot of the artists from up there were all Canadian, uh, launched a lot of very successful careers. Uh, Dave Thomas, Rick Moranis, John Candy, mm-hmm. Eugene Levy. Uh, who am I missing? Um, Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara was on that show. Martin Short was on that show. It was just a who's who of, of funny people. And I loved SCTV. I thought it was hilarious, especially right. you know my favorite, which was a lot of people's favorite, which was Bob and Doug McKenzie, mm-hmm. played by Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. I, 
I just thought it was genius. And it I throw it in the variety sketch because I remember James Ingram singing uh, one of his, it wasn't 100 Ways, it was... Um, just Once? Just Once. I remember listening to James Ingram performing Just Once on I, SCTV. I, I, re- I remember him performing okay, that. Okay, there yeah, you go. I do. No, so, I totally remember it. So I, it, for me, it falls in the variety category. Because if I remember correctly, in that episode, they, they wanted him to like do another song. He's like, you get Just Once. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I, that 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 um, I can't believe I didn't even think about that one. But no, I I agree with that. That was that was a show that you know very early eighties uh, that you and I I don't think there's there there's ever been an episode of SCTV that you ha- and I haven't seen. No, and I haven't. I wished I would have gone back and and kind of relived some of that some of those memories because right. it was for me it was funnier than Saturday Night Live at that time. Sure. And it was just so well done, and and the the characters were just so off the deep end. Uh, what was the one guy, Count Floyd? Uh, ooh, scary stuff, kids. Yeah, he had, his, uh, had the, uh, the the scary movies that he was showing. Yeah, and you know, I just there's just so many funny characters that that I, I got to go back and kind of relive that show all over again because when it was on, you and I. It, every week we watched it. Well, I, you know, and I guess it, it we've kind of, kind of come full circle where 40 years later we're doing this podcast together because I remember you and I going in your room one time and kind of trying to record our own version of like Bob and Doug. Okay. We, we kind of, we, we were doing our own little riff on it and I think you taped it. Oh, I taped a lot of yeah. things back then. <laughs> so yeah. it's, but I remember we, we had no script and we thought, kind of like now no no real script and we were trying to come up with our own little bits doing the bob and doug characters that's how much we were into it what was the what were they doing where it was live they did something live was it the super bowl they came on it was during a broadcast of something and they came on and they were lit it was letterman was it Letterman? Letterman. Yeah, okay. I've gone back and watched it. It's funny. Okay, they were because <laughs> yeah, they were hammered <laughs> at one time. Like Rick Moranis, he's he he goes off the set as 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 Bob, and he walks over. He still has his beer in his hand, <laughs> and he starts like like drinking it on air. And all of a sudden, obviously, so much he yelled from off stage because like ooh, and he like, quick puts it down, and he can tell he's like like trying to keep from laughing. And then they came out with a movie that Sean and I both absolutely love, uh, Gen Xers. If you haven't seen it, it's called Strange Brew. Mm-hmm. And loosely, and I mean loosely, I use that term based on the movie, the you know the the, the Shakespeare play Hamlet. Uh, I didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> I don't can't say that I saw that in there. Well, the it's about the you know the husband being killed, and then the wife marries the brother, and so uh, Dave Thomas does have an explanation. <laughs> okay, but he said it. You know, it's I all. Didn't know that he said that. Uh, you know, in the very beginning of the movie. Uh, where they are, remember the movie that they make that's shown in the theater that bombed and then the mm-hmm. people started rioting in the theater. So he put moth moths in the theater. <laughs> right. But the movie that they shot, he's like, I, I was wouldn't have been opposed if we would have done it that way, you know, the <laughs> way that the movie was made. So anyway, Strange Bro. Great movie. Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, uh, great movie, yeah. Uh, I think the last one that I'm going to bring up in terms of variety, well, I'll bring up two more. Uh, I would have put them in as honorable mentions. Uh, the one is the Midnight Special. Okay, the Midnight Special is known for its music, but the Midnight Special did have its share of comedians that would also perform 
stand-up comedians at the time. Steve Martin was on the Midnight Special. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie Prince was on the Midnight Special. Flip Wilson was on the Midnight Special. I mean, there's a lot of names. Com- comedian George Carlin was on the Midnight Special. So just about any stand-up comedian during that era would have performed on the Midnight Special. And it was one of my favorite TV shows as a young kid, like weekend television, late-night weekend television that I used to stay up and watch because I just loved live music, and I still love live music to this day. Right. And I will go in a rabbit hole on some nights. I'll come home from work, and I'll put on YouTube, and I'll just watch one performance after another, and I don't get tired of it. I still won't get tired of it to this day. And one of the beautiful things about when we live right now is the fact that we do have the ability to go back and watch those things. Because for me, I thought they were gone forever. You know, we occasionally you would see things like that come back. It, they might do a little retrospective. Those those things were gone. They they just didn't appear again. And then now that we have YouTube and, and the, the internet in general, now those things can be archived. And we can kind of once again go back and experience it where it's, in a way, a lot of that's new to me again. Yeah. Because, you know, the Midnight Special, I was pretty young when it came on. When I, At the very tail end, I watched some things when they actually happened. It actually ran through 1981. Yeah. So I was, by the time I was staying up and watching it, we're talking about 1979 to 1981. Right, right, which is kind of when I was watching it. Right, okay. But the Midnight Special was a variety show that I I certainly loved at at a young age and still watch even now. The other honorable mention I want to bring up is something that started to come out in the later 80s, which I used to stay up and watch also, which was Showtime at the Apollo. And that was pure variety. It was more of a talent show, but it was still all different types of you know, you're watching people tell jokes. You're watching people perform. That's the very first time I ever saw New Kids on the Block. Okay, was on Showtime at the Apollo. Now, was Sinbad always the host? Sinbad wasn't always the host, but he was probably the one that people remember the most. Right, he's the one I remember. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Bill Cosby hosted at the okay. very beginning. So, uh, but Sinbad is the one that everybody remembers. He carried on Showtime probably through the late '80s into the early '90s. And probably had the longest run as the host. But the thing, obviously the thing I remember about Showtime at the Apollo is if you bombed, <laughs> you, know, you you would get run off the stage yeah. if you weren't any good. And, and the crowd was pretty hostile some nights. Right. And you had to win the crowd over. And they would escort you off the stage. Absolutely, yeah. And it was, it was kind of the – it's something that they had been doing at the Apollo Theater – since it was, you know, since it began in probably the 1920s, 1930s, it was part of a tradition. It, it was always amazing to me when you would get an artist that would go out there to what was always known to be a hostile crowd. Yep. And so you're young and you're nervous and someone's voice might crack Yes. at the beginning and all oh, the fans would give it to them. Most times that artist would just pack it in and they would just give up and they would slump off the stage. But occasionally somebody would fight through. Well, and every once in a while, the, the crowd would rally, especially if it was a, a younger kid. Yeah. Like maybe a 12 or 13-year-old's out there. They'd cheer them on. And they'd be like, yeah, sing and perform with for the very first time. <laughs> and they'd come out, and they'd start out a little weak. Yeah. And actually, the crowd would get behind them and encourage them to, to finish the song out. So, uh, But if you were in your 20s and, and you got off to a bad start, <laughs> right. it didn't end very well at all. Right. No, that's a good one. I, I didn't even think of that. Okay. So that brings me to, to my, uh, you know... It wasn't my number one, but I think I had it down at number two. Okay. And so you didn't you didn't mention it again in terms of variety. 
I guess you could kind of put it in a, a bunch of different categories. And that would be, was it a game show? Kind of. Was it a variety show? Kind of. Was it a comedy show? I think I know where you're going. Kind of. Uh, the show's creator was the host. Uh, yeah, I knew where you're going. And he was not your typical show host. Actually, when I read the, the history, the backstory on the creation of the show, mm-hmm. the original host uh, was couldn't uh, couldn't believe that this was you know considered their spoofing talent shows Mm -hmm. he was saying he thought he was being hired to do an actual talent show and so like no 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 that's kind of the joke inside the joke so the the executive producer chuck barris chucky baby ended up coming in and becoming the host and i couldn't i couldn't imagine a different host for the gong show right which was one of my favorite shows as a little kid i i just remember it was such so great because daytime television or afternoon television you had soap operas you had uh game shows like card sharks mm-hmm. tic-tac-toe but for me it was like the gong show man as a six or seven year old kid even i could get into that and laugh and laugh and laugh and I think one of my fondest memories is, um, you know, mom and dad or parents, when we were young, we were foster parents. So it was, it was Lori, Sean, myself, and then we would take turns with one foster child and they would stay with us basically until they got adopted. And I remember I had one little foster brother, his name was JJ, and JJ and I would sit there and watch the gong show. And the thing I remember about JJ is when he would get happy, he would clap his hands. And that was something that Chuck Barris was doing on TV, remember he would sit there and he'd be like, "All right," and he'd clap his hands, yeah. and then he would do it so many times the audience would clap at the same time, and then they would, uh, you know, be "All right, we'll be back with more stuff," you know, because he couldn't remember what he was supposed to say. <laughs> right, and the the I guess you call them the judges, you know, Juicy JP Juicy Morgan, JP Morgan, Jamie Farr. Uh, what was the other guy's uh, name? Artie Lang, or not yeah. Artie Lang? Um. Artie Feldman or something like that. Something like that, yeah. But they, you know, the thing was the person would stand up there and perform. And then the the judges would stand there and one would always pretend to hit the gong. And the other two would like fight them <laughs> um, while, the, while the person's up there performing. And, but I think maybe my favorite part of the entire show was when Chuck Barris would announce... And I believe the uh, the song, the actual song, goes back many many years, and it it was brought up by Count Basie. Okay, it's called "Jumping at the Woodside," and I had no idea what "Jumping at the Woodside" was as a six or seven year old kid, but I just remember when he would introduce and have come out the guy Gene Gene, Gene the, the dancing, dancing machine. machine, and he would go out there and it'd be dan it dan 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 it dan. What's the name of the song? It's called Jumpin' at the Woodside. Let's see if I can find it. And Jumpin' at the Woodside is a Count Basie song. And they would play that every show. And Gene was actually like a stagehand. And he would just come out and he he became a part of the show and became a big part of the show. But it was just one of the... There were balloons. There was all kinds of... There was all kinds of just slapstick humor. But, you know, just bad jokes but it seemed like everyone was having so much fun. As a little kid watching, I was having fun watching them have fun. Yeah, I think this was my favorite part of the show. Whenever Gene Gene the Dance Machine would come out and do this. <laughs> I can still picture Gene. Yeah. And he's wearing a t-shirt. 
tight, uh, a very tight T-shirt. And, he was a little chubby. And slacks. <laughs> and sometimes he'd have on like a blue denim hat. And he was like a middle-aged black guy. Yeah. Yeah, with his mustache. And, and remember, whenever they would do the... Dan -it -dan, and he would always kind of stop Dan and turn his hips. Dan -it -dan -dan. And then they would go over to Chuck Barris and yeah. he'd be dancing. And then J.P. Morgan and Jamie Farr, they'd be dancing too. It just seemed like such a... It was like a party. You know, it just struck me as like everybody's having a, a blast out there. And yeah, I mean, was it a talent show? It was, but the show was more of a star than the people that were that nobody knew about that were coming onto the show. But for a little kid, this this was this was the best variety show that I could remember for its time. Oh yeah, I I I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it as a variety show just because you know it was kind of a a game show, right? Being the Gong Show, but for sure, I mean that I really liked the Gong Show. Yeah, and. Like I said, for, for a little kid in the middle of daytime TV, you know, the, the gong show probably came on before the, the cartoons did. Yeah. But I just remember sitting there with our little foster brother, JJ, watching the gong show, and we just laughing and having a good time. And it, that's kind of the great thing about when comedy transcends age, and, sometimes, and you don't always see it, but sometimes you do, where... Even though it might, the format may be a cartoon or some type of a goofy show, but when the humor, when a, an entire family can sit around something and laugh and have a good time, whether it's the youngest to the oldest parent, right, and everybody's laughing and have you know because you're seeing the humor from different levels, like we talked about Looney Tunes, mm -hmm. and for me, it's like you know I didn't get some of the jokes that they were saying on the Gong Show, but there was enough goofiness that a little kid like me could appreciate i remember we would play along as if we were the judges yeah and, and you want to pick the winner and well we would we would actually have a gong that's right yes <laughs> i do remember that <laughs> if it got to, if it was always bad we start hitting the gong trying yeah. to like and then you know hoping that juicy jp morgan would you know hit the gong that's right yeah and, and it was always it was always funny because sometimes somebody would come on and they would be half decent so you're kind of rooting for them right and or or like you know somebody like the unknown comic would oh, come out. Oh yes, that's right. The, the unknown, unknown comic, comic got started on on the Gong Show and then ended up going over to a show called Make Me Laugh. You remember that show? Sure, yeah. But yeah, I mean the the, the unknown comic was a guy who cut holes in a bag and wore a bag <laughs> over his head, a brown paper bag. But I tell you what, that dude was funny. Yeah, yeah, that dude was funny. And uh, you know, it's just it's so many good memories from from a from a TV show like that. It, it was one of my favorites. Oh, see now there's there's a rabbit hole. I am now going to go down. This weekend, absolutely unknown comic. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look him up. Yep. So that that was the one, really the one name that was left off my top ten list that you had already. But everything else, I was pretty much in lockstep. With well, let, let me run down kind of what the list was because you know it sounds like it's pretty similar. So I'll give you uh, my my, and it's twelve. And so coming in number twelve was was the Brady Bunch Hour. Number eleven was Tony Orlando and Dawn. Number ten was Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell Sisters. Number nine, Captain and Tennille. Number eight was the legendary Carol Burnett. Number seven, Shanana. Number six was the Muppet Show. I think you know I could have even put that one higher, but that's at number six on this list. Number five, Saturday Night Live, still on the air today. Pretty amazing. Number four was Sunny and Cher Comedy Hour. Number three, Donnie and Marie. Number two was Hee Haw, our dad's favorite. And number one was the legendary Bob Hope. And the only name or the only show that uh, made my top 10 list that, that Sean didn't have was the gong show, which we just covered. So 
that was a great kind of step back into some some tv that really made us happy as kids i mean i I, i'm glad that we're with the with the technology that youtube can provide that you can actually go back and revisit some of that stuff so it's not just memories you can actually view it again and appreciate even on a different level now that you watch it maybe 20 30 years later that's a good point that's a good point because you know when i would have watched tony orlando and dawn uh i was very very young and i certainly would not have gotten the humor but now as an adult i can go back and i can kind of almost in a way see it through our parents eyes right yeah yeah that's awesome um yeah, good retrospective. I really this one was this was a lot of fun. I really well, enjoyed this well, one. Well, and hopefully at home, you know, you're, you're thinking the same thing that it brought back a lot of good memories. And also, what what I would hope for is kind of what Scott did, where he had some of his honorable mentions, you know, like SCTV, you know, like uh, you know, uh, like the Apollo, where I wouldn't have thought of it. Like the Gong Show, did not even occur to me to to think of those shows. And I'm kind of glad that you brought them back because, like I said, I'm going to go down. The Gong Show, Show Rabbit Hole and the Unknown Comic Rabbit Hole, and I got to see Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. Gene Gene the Dancing Machine, and uh, obviously there's a lot of Sean and I episodes too. I saw that when <laughs> oh, I was okay. when I was checking it out this week. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that was a good one. I I, I really enjoyed this with this particular episode. I hope oh, I hope everybody did too. Right. So now that wraps up this episode. Now, once as usual, I turn it over to my brother. And so Scott, what do you have in store? Well, it's been a few few months since we have gone down sports. Okay. So I thought we'd go cover a great uh, Gen X sports topic, which was really important back in the day, and that's the sport of baseball. Okay. And you and I are huge baseball fans. Sure. Uh, going even going back to the days when we had rival uh, sporting publications that were sent to our house. Mm-hmm. So you were always getting Sports Illustrated. Right. I was always getting the sporting news, and so it, I was it, Coke. He was Pepsi. It covered. It covered baseball kind of from different perspectives, I think. It did. Where, you know, Sports Illustrated was very visual, and the sporting news was very analytical. And I thought that was always cool, but I think because you read my sporting news, I read your Sports Illustrated. Right. It gave us two different layers of following following sports, what they, I think has carried over to this day. So what I want you to do is let, let's, let's kind of give, since baseball, the baseball season just recently started, a few weeks ago, let's give a little love to to baseball. So I want you to come up with your your all time Gen X lineup, and I'm I'm talking about position. So where would you bat him in the lineup? Where would you where who would you have like starting a catcher, and then maybe uh, give me a right hander and a left hander starter. Okay, give me a couple relievers, but other than that. Uh, you know, if you want to do like a first team, second team to kind of give you, I know sometimes it's hard to narrow it down to just one team, but if you could, and just so you know, everybody, third base is going to be Mike Schmidt on both of ours. He's the greatest third baseman (laughs) in the history of baseball. But, um, but other than that, you know, come up with your, come up with your, uh, top, give me your lineup, like playing in center field, like maybe where would you bat them? Okay. Uh, Is there a DH? You know what? Since the American league, position was or the dh position was created in 1975 in the american league let's go ahead and do that okay so you can add a dh uh you know and i'm not even going to specify because there were some pretty well-known guys who were strictly designated hitters back in the gen x era mm-hmm. that's your entirely your call okay but if you want to uh you know right fielder center fielder left fielder 
where would you bat them in the lineup? I think it'd be fun to kind of go back and talk about some of that, uh, you know, some of those great Gen X era baseball players. I think as the show evolves, we're going to get into a little bit more detail, maybe in some of the events that happen in sporting events, like, uh, you know, particular World Series, divisional playoffs, certain things like that, events that happen, like you know, like Cal Ripken Jr. breaking Lou Gehrig's record, you know, stiff, different things like that. Sure. I think, uh, but let's start kind of on the broad side and go with our lineup and uh, similar to what they did at the end of the 90s when they did like the all-century team. So this would be your all-Gen X baseball team and, you know, how you would rank them in, in order and how would you bat them in your lineup. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I put some thoughts into that. Sounds good. All right. So once again, we really hope you enjoyed our episode on variety shows. And we can't thank everybody enough for tuning into the Gen X Playback Show. Just the fact that we've been on the air now for going on, going into our, I believe, our 10th, 9th or 10th month now. And that we've had almost 1,600 views, 160-some towns across the country, 38 states. Uh, we thank everybody for listening. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and, and hopefully you're enjoying our remin- reminiscing about stuff that we remember as kids. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun just for us to kind of get together and, and talk, uh, you know, and have the microphones rolling and kind of bring you in and, and get to, you know, sit in, and listen to conversations that we've had for years together. So, so we, we do appreciate that you've come along for the ride. All right, so tune in next time, episode number 25 coming up on Gen X Baseball Players. So hopefully you enjoy it. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we'll talk to you then. See you.